Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Good day, channel pros. Welcome to Channel Journeys. This is your host and channel chief, Rob Spee. Well, can you believe it? We are closing out the first quarter of 2022. I hope it's been a good one for all of you. It, it has for me. We are deep into our strategy of building a modern partner ecosystem at Beyond Trust, which is part of our global go-to-market strategy. I'm always curious, though, to learn how other vendors are doing this, especially internationally. And today I have a guest joining us from the land of Oz. He comes from the land down under as that fun 80s band Minute Work would say. Before going down under, I want to give a shout out to Allbound, our sponsor. Allbound is the maker of a world-leading partner portal that more and more vendors are relying on to manage their diverse partner ecosystem. It's really fast and easy to set up. With their portal, you can manage your dealers, distributors, FARs, and agents, as well as OEMs, ISVs, and system integrators. And their user interface makes it really easy on partners to collaborate with you while they're ramping up on training and certifications. Allbound has best-in-class reviews for user experience, ease of use, and customer support, and you can check them out at allbound.com. Okay, today's guest is Andrew Habgood, VP of APAC Partner Ecosystems at Red Hat. Andrew is in charge of building a first-class partner ecosystem, including GSIs, cloud service providers, marketplaces and distributors, ISVs, and technology partners. Andrew has a ton of partner experience across APAC, Before taking this position, he was responsible for Red Hat's cloud and strategic partner business across the APAC region, and he served as an interim leader in Japan. Are you ready to learn how to build a modern partner ecosystem in the Asia-Pacific region? Let's go. Andrew, hey, good morning, I guess, where you are. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. Thanks, Rob. Yep, it's good morning. Uh, It's nice, bright and early 10 a.m. for me. Yeah, and where are you hunkered down these days? I'm sitting in Sydney. Yeah, nice... I'd like to say sunny, but it's a bit cloudy today. So Sydney, Australia, you might be my first guest from Sydney. I'm not sure. So if so, congratulations. (laughs) What do I win, Rob? (laughs) You're going to win a trip to Singapore. How's that? (laughs) Looking forward to it. Sponsored and paid for by Red Hat. (laughs) Thanks. Well, Rob, yeah, I lived in Singapore for about eight years, so I'm looking forward to getting back. So uh, if you can make that happen, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, we all are looking forward to traveling and getting back. I would love to get back to Singapore. I'd love to get back to Sydney. It's been many years since I was in Sydney, uh, and I just love traveling around Australia. So let's hope, fingers crossed, we'll be back to that soon. Fingers crossed indeed. Fingers crossed. So, Andrew, maybe we'll start out just just chatting a little bit about uh, what you're doing with Red Hat, your role there. I saw on LinkedIn, it says VP of Partner Ecosystems. More and more talk about ecosystems. Not too many people have that title yet or ecosystem in their role title. Is that something new? Yeah, it's a real conscious change for us, Rob. I was head of the Partner and Alliance organization, which has a natural fit and synergy to transition into ecosystem. But we really as a company want to recognize partners are not just fulfillment, not just transaction, not just pigeonholed in any particular way. What makes a customer happy is the ecosystem around them. It's the workloads that run on our platforms. It's the ISVs that build those workloads. It's the SIs who transform customers' environments. It's the cloud providers and hardware providers that our infrastructure sits on. It's all of those things. And we want to see more combinations of the ecosystem, not just one partner with a customer and Red Hat, 
but a combination of, of uh, ecosystem components bringing a solution to customers and transforming them. So that's why we really consciously have renamed and restructured and brought all of our individual partner teams together in Red Hat into a single ecosystem organization. Okay. So this is, there is no longer a head of channels and alliances. You've rebranded it, renamed it, pulled it all together. Exactly. We, we pulled together, we had uh, separate teams for strategic alliances. We had separate teams for our channel business. We had in our products and technology group, our business units who create the software or work in the communities with the software, they had partner teams. We've amalgamated all of those together into a single ecosystem organization. And uniquely, it actually co-reports to our sales organization, but also to our product group to make sure that the ecosystem can tap into both, tap into our sales motions, as well as tapping into product releases. Sorry, Rob. Yeah, because when you think about alliances and ecosystems, there is that product component to it. You're building integrations and you don't want to lose that, that support from the product team. Look, there's a wealth of knowledge that the partners have about what the customers do with the software. You know, the uh, open source communities that we're built on have tremendous abilities to actually incorporate feedback, take best ideas, take them from customers with customers, from partners with partners, and actually make them better in the community. So that's how Red Hat's been fostering ideas for, for 25 years in our history. But actually uh, making sure that there is a real close feedback loop with the ecosystem was something that we felt wasn't strong enough. So by incorporating these uh, functions and having, as I said, our organization dual report, it means that there is that tight feedback loop. Partners have access to our product teams. They have access to our engineering teams who can really help take those ideas, make them better and satisfy more customers, help more partners and actually just continue to expand what we do in the open source community. And you're responsible just for APAC, just APJ. Yes, I'm responsible for APAC in Red Hat terms, which is APJ. So all of Asia from India through to north to Korea and Japan, down south to New Zealand. I'm also part of the global organization. So a part of the global steering committees and so on that define what our strategies are and how we actually operate and execute. And so kind of curious about the structure. You have, I assume, a head of ecosystems in each theater. Is that how it works? Like head for Americas and EMEA? Yes, we do. So we have uh, four geographies uh, globally. So geos in Red Hat terms. So APAC, EMEA, LATAM, and North America. And then within Asia Pacific, I have uh, five further geographies. So India, Japan, Greater China, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and GEMS, which is growth and emerging markets throughout Southeast Asia and Korea. So it's quite complex. Have you put in a head of ecosystems for each of those five? areas? Yes. So I have, um, thankfully, uh, some of them have been in place for a long time running the partner alliance uh, business. But yes, I have a, a, a mirrored team from my Asia Pacific team. And then we have alignment to the global team. And to be honest, that was also another change for us. We used to have a very country centric and region centric model around the world. We didn't have a lot of consistency in the way we work with partners. Again, in the transformation to ecosystem, we want scale, we want consistency. But we also want to support innovation. So that's why we have country teams and they roll up to me at the geography level. But there is a consistency in blueprint. There is a consistency in the way we're going forward with business that rolls up through all levels up to global. So we're, we're going through this in, at my company and, and you know, I was brought on board to, to run channels and, and now alliances as well. So similar to what you are doing, we're, we're a little bit further behind. We're just getting started on it. So I'm really curious to learn from you and, and how you're putting this together. And 
I imagine a lot of listeners are going through the same type of organizational modernization, right? And not just organization, programs and partners, um, partner programs, support, everything. So I'm really curious to hear how you're doing it and what's different about APAC, right? And uh, you had, when you and I were chatting earlier, you, you mentioned that comment that, that it is different. There are some differences. So I'd like to explore that too and kind of understand how that's impacting Red Hat and your programs. And, and are you taking a slightly different approach to account for those, those differences? Yeah, no, I, I think we absolutely are. And we have to continue to do that, Rob. And you know, my, my um, tenure with the company, I, my first years were in Singapore. Later on, I read the, led the Partner Alliance business in Japan, and then I've relocated back to Sydney and then taken on the overall APAC role. But we have a wealth of uh, uh, experience in broader countries, you know, uh, whether it's um, smaller emerging markets for us in Indonesia and in Philippines and places like that, or whether it's established markets. I mentioned Japan, but China, India, and so on. There are a lot of differences. Now, of course, there's cultural differences. There's economic differences. When I joined the company, the differences also were things like connectivity. The hyperscale clouds were becoming a very, very strong uh, part of our business in North America and in markets like Australia and New Zealand. But at that time, there were no data centers for Amazon or Microsoft or others in India or in uh, uh, local countries. So that change has also meant that the speed and pace that you can reinvent or adjust the ecosystem had to be tempered to those markets. There's also just straight innovation. There are thriving ISV and developed communities in many of these markets, creating centric solutions for those markets. So within India, within China, within Indonesia, how do we capture that? How do we actually enable that? How do we take it global? It don't, doesn't necessarily always need to go global. It may have a thriving opportunity locally. So we do need to find that balance where we want to standardize as much as possible. We want to provide frameworks that actually support partners. But we also want to recognize that, hey, what you're doing there might make sense there. How do we help you do that, do that better for that market? So the way we've, we've approached this, uh, Rob, is uh, in, in our restructuring, we've kind of grouped our uh, organization in the geography into three areas. Our ecosystem programs. You know, we want to make sure that we continue to work to have the best-in-class programs for our partners, make it easier for them to work with us, make it more rewarding, you know, the usual things, partner tiers, MDF. And the things that we do, deal registration, lead passing, but we have to do it better. We have to do it simpler. And there's always areas that we can do that. And that's very aligned to global, you know, because we do need to be consistent. Many, many of our partners want to operate in multiple markets. The second team is our partner management, ecosystem management. Now, we've always done that. We've done that well. I think we have great relationships with a, a, a variety of partners, global systems integrators, cloud providers, hardware providers, local systems integrators, distribution partners, that whole channel we've done well. We're looking at ways that we can continue to optimize that, improve the methodologies we use, uh, be more engaged with the partners, be closer to what they're doing. Uh, so so there's, there's tweaks we're making, but it's still partner management. But the third pillar is really new for us, which was ecosystem development. And we've created some new teams to really bridge what I was talking about earlier. The product group and the way that we're actually developing and creating and releasing products to our partners. We've, of course, always had a training and enablement cap capability. You know, partners can do online training. They can do classroom training. They can do things like that with us. But between classroom training and product releases, there's a massive chasm. How do you engage partners in developing solutions, 
engaging with them about the IP they have and how that could be translated with our stuff from one great example with one customer into scaling to many customers or even influencing the future of the product or changing the way that we actually uh, reflect Red Hat's position in the open source community. So those things there are where we're putting investment. We're putting people, we're putting bodies on the ground in each country to actually really work closely with our partner managers as well as the partners themselves to try and foster that innovation and help develop the ecosystem. So that's a totally new team, ecosystem development. Totally new team. And look, you know, you can call it many things. It, it, it's, it's got a, a recruitment element to it because we're helping making sure we have the right partners, but also the partners of that ecosystem, you know, where there's gaps. Uh, there's, a, there's a training and development aspect, of course, to build capabilities with those partners, but it's really the solutioning, you know, helping partners foster that IP which is where we're putting a lot of focus. And uh, that's a new team for us and a new focus to see how we can scale that. Is it more of a technical role than sales-oriented? What kind of profile is your, like, your ideal person in that position? Yeah, someone was talking, we were talking internally about this because being a, uh, I think I gave a fairly nebulous description of it, Rob. Being something that is so broad and so bespoke to certain partners, it's hard to ex explain. And even for our recruitment team, hard for them to hire. So we're sort of saying it's um, technical with an MBA, you know, that, that ability to help our partners not supplement or replace our technical solution architects, which are brilliant, not supplement our training and development, the training enablement, which is, um, you know, I think very, uh, very high class, but actually help map that to the business model, the conversation with the partner that can actually help them what could you do with this? What could be the opportunity together? And actually, how do we make that real? So that's what we're trying to do, Rob. And uh, as I said, new, new team, and we're just on that journey. Yeah. And I, and I think it's similar to this new team I'm building, which I call Partner Success. And it's ours is kind of similar to what you described, technical with an MBA who can go in there and help this partner be successful. Ours is less around innovation right now, and it's more about implementation and integration. I think we'll get to innovation, but we're not, you know, we got to get to the other first two uh, first. But yeah, it's, it's you got to have, so you have to have that technical aptitude, but also think about it from a business perspective. And are you help, is that partner growing and being successful beyond what the partner manager can do? Uh, absolutely. As I said, our partner managers have done a great job for many years. But they were also measured about you know, how many how many accreditations and certifications did their partner have? How much of a transaction volume did their partners do? They were the simplistic type measures of a, of a partner manager in the past. Now we need to look at, okay, how do we actually, as a partner manager, make sure my partner is successful? I, I like what you said. And, and technically, our organization is called uh, Partner Ecosystem Success, uh, although we, we have sometimes dropped the S because it, it makes it a little bit long. But the mindset there is about yeah, making the partner successful, making the ecosystem successful. So I, I like what you've got there, Rob, and we might even yeah. steal that title. <laughs> well, let's talk in a year and see where both of us land, you know. <laughs> we might both swap. So the ecosystem, is it changing, you know, what you're building? Are you are you adding new types of partners? Are you looking to to change the ecosystem or add to it in any way? Yeah, look, I, th I think there's always gaps, but there's also strengths that need to be leveraged. You know, we, we saw a lot of change, I'm sure you did too, Rob, um, in the partners that you had over the last 10 years, five years, two years, and what their needs are and what their business models are. You know, 10 years ago, there was obviously a, a strong proposition around resell, around value-added resell, around attach, all those components to a customer in one order. 
And then obviously consumption became a big part. You know, so things moved to the cloud. People wanted to deliver managed services. Customers want less lock-in. And now we move into the last couple of years where it's been no travel, supply chain crunches, all those sort of things. And ultimately now what that's meant is we've seen partners want to reinvent. We've seen partners change from a VAR to an SI to an MSP. And you can't pigeonhole them anymore, nor should we. We're also seeing even customers taking IP that they've built, uh, you know, around a solution an application, could be a banking platform, could be something else, and saying, actually, now I want to become an ISV and provide that to other uh, competitors, potentially, in the industry. So as that's happened, we've recognized that what I said about ecosystem programs, we need to be simpler. We need to be easier. We don't need to say, here's the gate for entry for you to be an ISV. Here's the barrier gate for you to be an SI. Here's the steps you have to take to be an MSP. We need to say, you want to be a partner with Red Hat? How do we make it easy for you? You want to do different business models? You want to provide attached with hardware? Fantastic. You want to provide consumption solutions? Fantastic. You want to work on top of clouds or with clouds? Fantastic. So we've been building all of those things over many years, and now we're simplifying our contracts and programs to, again, remove the, remove the barriers and make it a bit easier. Not always the easiest thing when you've got established contracts and you have to work out how do you terminate and change and whatever, but, but it is something that we're consciously trying to work on. The legal team can have a little, they can be scratching their heads perhaps a little bit and trying to understand what you're trying to accomplish. We've got to keep the lawyers in jobs, uh, but yes... Whiteboarding comes in, and uh, Rob, you can't see it on on camera at the moment, but I do have a whiteboard in my uh, home office for that reason. Yeah, we're having very similar conversations, so I I can imagine what you're going through. So that was a good point. You know, your your ecosystem is changing because the partners. It's not even that you're recruiting different types of partners. The partners themselves are changing models. These models are merging. You know, one of the things I'm struggling and we're struggling with is just tracking. You know, like. In, in Salesforce, how are you tracking this? Are you trying to track by partner type? Like you used to be able to say, okay, you got your MSP partners, you got your VARs, but like you said, they're all merging. Or do you just track by motion the type of things that they're doing to add value? It's a constantly evolving thought we have. We want to track the value that partners bring to Red Hat overall. In the past, that was easy. It was transactions. For some partners, it was possible to transact to, to uh, track influence. But now when you look at these combinations, if a SI delivers a service on top of an ISV application on top of a cloud provider, where does the transaction come from? Well, it might come from the cloud provider or it might come from somewhere else, but frankly, it doesn't matter. That SI has created value and we need to recognize that. So we don't want to get to a situation where we have our performance meeting with that SI and we say, you didn't transact. We want to say, congratulations, that was a fantastic solution. How do we make more of those? So so we are trying and we are working at the moment. We have a decent global work stream on partner value and a partner value framework that will really make sure that we can see the ecosystem's value, whether it's an ISV, whether it's a partner who transacts, whether it's a partner who doesn't transact, what value it creates which ultimately comes back to the customer. How are we making sure that we have happy, successful Red Hat customers? It's that ecosystem around them. How do we make sure that works? Well, we make sure that ecosystem's happy. How do we measure it? We're working on it, Rob. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. No one has it totally figured out, at least that I've found. We're all working on it. We're all, and it's a a constant evolution. Going back to the differences of, of APAC versus 
the US or rest of world, do you you have kind of the same construct and framework of a program, but are there elements of the program that are different for for APAC? Oh yes, yes, absolutely. So there's many good examples that we have where we've had geography-centric programs for a long time. And so one of those, uh, we have a program called OpenShift Practice Builder in APAC. Uh, APAC, um, as a region, a, a number of years ago, probably about five years ago, we could see with OpenShift as an emerging product for Red Hat at that time, uh, and now a very successful product, uh, that we needed to get more partners capable. In North America, I won't criticize too much. I'll say that was easier for them because a single market, you can find and invest in some big partners and actually have some, some immediate um, successes. We found that across our complex geography, to make it work in Indonesia, to make it work in Thailand, to make it work in India, we had to really put a conscious investment in working with specific partners to build that. So we created a specific program, geography-centric, uh, called OpenShift Practice Builder to recognize, reward, invest, support with those. Now, I, I hope in future to some extent, and, and we've globalized elements of it, we've borrowed elements of that program over time from other geographies, other geographies have borrowed from us. We will normalize some of those elements and, and we have normalized some of those elements um, into our global partner framework, but we'll constantly need to do those things. You know, if there is innovation, if there is a, a, a market that has a particular challenge or a market that has a particular opportunity, I think it's always important to have some flexibility locally to say, we need to provide more on the ground proof of concept support or more on the ground something else and do that. So, so yes, we absolutely have some great innovations locally. Do I want to normalize them and be consistent? Yes. But do I want to support innovation? Absolutely. And, and we'll continue to do that. Are there core things like, you know, traditional program tiers or levels or, or certification requirements that are set globally or are those set regionally as well? Yeah. And, and actually, you, bring, you, you brought up a, a really um, nice topic for me at the moment, Rob. We have a global partner tiering system. So we have uh, Ready is our entry level uh, partner programs, and then we move to Advanced, and then we move to Premier. Now, Asia Pacific, as we operated that program for many, many years, we really didn't have a focus on pushing people up the tiers and um, uh, bringing partners up to the Premier. It was just not a model that we'd operated. So actually this month, uh, we've just promoted uh, 11 partners across Asia Pacific to Premier status for the first time. So now we've got a lot of local partners in um, Japan, in um, uh, Singapore, in Australia, New Zealand, that we've actually brought up to those levels to recognize the value they bring. What we also needed to do, though, is while this was a global tiering, the again, the market size and the value of partners didn't always align with the partners we wanted to make premier. So we have made some adjustments uh, locally to say, actually, we're capturing more than transaction. We're capturing more than those things. And that's why we're making this partner premier. We're feeding all that back in. We're, we're continuing to adjust our global program and we're making it more consistent. But, but it is it is an important thing. Tiering is important. You do want to recognize and reward partners and give them more value when they do more with you. But you also want to make sure that we're not forcing tiering uh, by using an artificial construct and we're not constraining markets by having tiers that are so rigidly defined globally that we can't operate. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm pleased with the progress we're making, but uh, I think we will continue to look at things like specializations and other areas around tiering uh, over the next 12 months. Yeah. And, you know, with with the movement to the cloud and everything else that's happening, there's 
there's a lot more potential for partners to be working broader territories, right? Even globally. And so our programs, any inconsistencies can cause some problems too, as your partners start reaching out across borders. Absolutely. And you have to give them a clear path, you know, because if you're uh, an advanced or a premier partner in one market, look, maybe you should have a path to advance or premier in another market. And what is that path? And how do we actually make that happen for you? How do we make it easy for you? So, yeah, I, I think you highlighted a very good point. In the, in the cloud world, we, we're seeing partners who uh, all of a sudden find overseas opportunities, expansion opportunities where they may not have before. And how do we make that easy for them to recognize and capitalize on them? It's an interesting point, Rob. And I will be interested to share notes with you in a few months and see how you're going with that. Yeah. Do you have uh, like regular global ecosystem manager or leader meetings where you're, you're, you guys are working this out? Oh, yes. <laughs> so for the viewers at home, I can, uh, Rob can see the smile on my face. We have actually a very, very strong team. I, I report directly into the global lead. We have, a, as well as uh, I have a dotted line into the APAC uh, general manager to make sure that we're aligned on the business. But multiple days a week, we have uh, steering committees, we bring things together. It's all been a pretty rigorous uh, change from 12 months ago, where it was a little bit sporadic or, or sporadic is probably the wrong word, fragmented because of the different teams we align to globally. Now with it aligned to one team, we are focused. We have uh, set out the initiatives and work streams that need to be accomplished. How do we make the partner experience better? How do we make it simpler? How do we recognize the value? How do we do all those things? And my mornings tend to be filled with uh, North America time, but that works out quite well in my time zone. Yeah. Yeah. I got to take advantage of that. Can you tell us a little bit more about the organization? How many people in your overall new partner ecosystem organization? Look, I won't, I won't throw numbers out for global uh, because I just don't have them offhand. No, I meant just for, for, your, for APAC, if you can share APAC. Yeah, broadly around 150 people in my direct organization. Supporting how many partners? We have around 5,000 partners in Asia Pacific. Okay. So what we're doing is, uh, so the team I mentioned is exclusive of technical uh, solution architects and other supporting resources that sit outside my team but very much co-work and support the ecosystem. But my team directly, we're managing partners up the pyramid, shall I say. We're focusing very much on having consistency around our global alliances, consistency around our focus global systems integrators and executing very well with those. But in the local markets, making sure that we're going with the partners who want to go with us and building that conversation so that those advanced, those premiers are getting the support and coverage they need and we're not spreading ourselves too thin. What we're doing below uh, the managed partners is now really putting an emphasis on changing the way we work with our distribution partners. We used to use, yeah, look, Rob, we used to have, I think, a view of channel, you know, like all companies tend to five years ago. And channel is great. Yeah, the, the, there is absolutely a need for transaction partners in many, many situations. There's um, absolutely a need for growing the number of partners you have. But as our products become more complex and as the ecosystem becomes more complex, having partners who can go deeper, and as I said, all partner types, ISBs, SIs, MSBs, but go deeper and take total solutions and total propositions and work together collaboratively with that ecosystem to solve, that's the important focus for us. So with our distribution partners, we're we're shifting the focus and saying, don't focus on channel, focus on the build where we don't have the coverage. So recruit the partners 
work with us to help have a development path to get them to the advanced and premier, to get the capabilities, to bring them to that conversation so that we can continue to invest with them and bring them up that pyramid on the journey with us to satisfying our customers. So if I understood that correctly, you're saying don't focus on the long tail, focus on building those partners that we want to have, the really high strategic value partners. Is that is that accurate? That was a much more concise way to say it, Rob. So yes, I appreciate that. Well, well I'm glad I understood it. So, so what happens to the long tail then? Look, again, the long tail is there and it will still operate through our distribution partners. But uh, you know, again, when we look at something like 5,000 partners across Asia Pacific, what do we do with 5,000 partners? And how do we have a valued relationship that is two-way? Partners value the relationship. They value lead pass. They value engagement. When you have 5,000 partners, you can't give that to all of them. No, it's spread too thin. Exactly. So then you end up with a situation where you have a lot of partners, but they're transactional or they're reactive. Now, they still may have an incredible value to a specific customer or customers or have IP that we're not tapping into. And that's where if we put it through the funnel and and use your description of how we do that, Rob, we work with the distribution partners to sort of pick the ones that are the partners of our customers, pick the ones that are partners of our other ecosystem partners and help them develop to a path that means actually they're going to get more focus from us. We're going to give them more. uh, They're going to provide uh, more focus to us and we're going to have a much more meaningful relationship and do better things together. Yeah, that's really interesting strategy, which is really forward thinking, because if they're just managing the channel, the long tail, you're nowhere, or or I should put it a different way, three years from now, you're in the same place where you are today. But if they're focused on the diamonds in the rough, three years from now, you've got them turned into diamonds, and they're out there producing for you. Look, we're putting a lot of focus on who are the partners of our customers that we need. As our customer segments go to market, you know, we're really making sure that with our enterprise teams, with our commercial teams, the partners they need, the partners they see in their customers, the partners that have IP that could potentially make it easier for us to drive a Red Hat conversation are there and available. So that's a real focus. The second focus is partners of our partners. You know, that ecosystem means connecting a lot of dots. Who are the partners that can, can actually, that, that we already have strong relationships with? that have their own partner networks that we need to tap into. At a local level, that can mean connecting one of our SIs with some ISVs and saying, actually, you guys would work great together because of the solutions you have. At a global level, it means when we work with a Microsoft or an Amazon or a HP or many of our other global partners that have long channels, there are people in their networks that together we could actually uh, do more with. So that's a conscious effort and our distribution partners are really well primed to actually help us find those diamonds in the rough, as you said. And make those connections, the the P2P connections. Yeah, very interesting. What advice do you have for folks that are you know running channels, maybe in younger organizations that haven't yet built out the, the APAC channel, or maybe they're very early stage? You've been at this for a while. You've probably seen a number of, of uh, well-intentioned, but... <laughs> boneheaded mistakes that, that people make. Any, any advice? You know, it's a great question, Robin. There's probably um, many mistakes I've made too along the way. You know, trust is really, really important. It is the most valuable commodity that you can build with your ecosystem. It's the probably the easiest thing to lose as well. And you don't want to do that because it's always harder to rebuild trust than gain it the first time around. Many newer organizations, smaller teams often have a 
two-prong motion. They have their sales team going direct. They have their partner team trying to build a second uh, channel business. They, to me, they shouldn't be in isolation. The best thing you can do is have alignment there from the start. If you can have the sales team working with your ecosystem, you'll always be more successful and you'll immediately get scale and you'll immediately build trust. So, so I think to me that that's really important. Build that trust, maintain that trust. We're doing it by implementing a stronger rules of engagement to make sure that our partners know that in these type of accounts, this is what they're, this is how we will display that trust, where we will protect their incumbency, where we will recognize and, and protect them when they bring us new opportunities and all of those sort of things that go into rules of engagement. We're working in a lot on alignment. And I will say this is a work in progress for us, but by putting positive incentives to our sales teams. So we've put a lot of carrots this year, baked, baked carrots into our entire field sales organization that they will make more money if they work with partners than if they don't work with partners. Interesting. Is that across APAC? That's global. That's global. Wow. Yes. We, we experimented with it last year and this year we baked it in at the top level in the company and everyone agreed. Uh, our field sellers, our field sales um, leaders all are aligned to this message. Because we all recognize, you know, Red Hat is built on community, built on open source, built on working that way. We need to foster that by extension in the way that we actually work with our customers and our partners. So we've put some very, very positive incentives. As I said, uh, our sales team will make more money guaranteed if they work with partners. So those are, those are sort of things that I would be trying to make sure if I was a new organization now building a channel ecosystem, that I was building that trust, I was establishing that trust, and I was demonstrating it through rules of engagement, being consistent in the way I operate, and by making sure that my sales teams are not competing with my channel, but working collaboratively. Yeah, I think that's a really important one. Like you said, don't have this sales team and then a totally separate channel team. Get them working together out of the gate. I'm curious if you can share, are, they, are the sellers paid more if a seller, or sorry, if a partner is involved, not necessarily for the transaction, but for implementation or some other value add that they're innovation that they're bringing? Yeah, so we're making sure that our sellers can recognize and be incentivized when they work with a partner, even if that partner does not transact. So in the case of a ISV, you know, there may be a core ISV that they work closely with on a core banking solution or a you know, telco open VRAN or some other solution. They, that ISV may not actually want to transact the Red Hat subscriptions. That's perfectly fine. By working with that partner, identifying the engagement together, building it out together, they've satisfied the customer and they will be eligible for those um, positive incentives I meant, mentioned earlier and they'll be paid more. That's fantastic. So you piloted it, you did some pilots last year and now you're going global with it. Yeah, we did it last year as a addendum, you know, a, an excellence plan after you met your quota, you could get some extra achievement. Now, the problem with that always is, well, if people you know, aren't sure they don't necessarily engage early. It was successful, but this year we baked it into the core plan. It is right there. The moment they start working with any of our partners, they get uh, extra incentives. Oh, that's fantastic. Kudos to you guys for getting that across the line. Fingers crossed. Now we just need to uh, live up to the expectations, but I know, I know my ecosystem team is going to bring that value. Yeah. Well, I'll be really curious to talk to you again you know, towards the end of the year and see how that's turning out for you. No, I absolutely love to, Rob. Yeah, fantastic. All right. So I always love to find out more about folks and what they, how they got into the channel and, and what they like to do outside of the channel. So let's start with how you got into the channel in the first place. I'll say by accident. 
good. That's how most of us got in there. <laughs> yeah, look, Rob, I, I was technical. I was a network engineer. Uh, I was in Hewlett Packard for about 15 years. And I just had some great opportunities to build out my technical capabilities, move into solution architect teams and, and lead some uh, practices, which led me to a sales management role aligned to some of the practices I've led. From there, you know, I, I, I had a perspective from customers. I had a perspective from our products. I had a perspective from the partners as a solution architect I've worked with and shifted into an alliance role. And as I got to know the alliance roles, one of the partners I got to know very well was Red Hat and I ended up at Red Hat. But I joined Red Hat in a channel, in the channel organization about seven years ago to run and build uh, really from scratch our cloud partner ecosystem in Asia Pacific. So that's given me a, a great foundation because at that time, cloud was in the infancy. I mentioned the challenges with connectivity and data centers and so on earlier. So I had to get a lot of different perspectives about how we could energize local partners, globals, and do things very differently in Asia Pacific and justify that to our global teams, why we need to be different. And then I think, as I mentioned earlier, I had an opportunity to go to Japan and lead the Japan partner business a few years ago. And that was tremendous. Yes, I did. Uh, so I spent about 12 months there. It was only a secondment, uh, so it wasn't a, a permanent move, but it was a, a matter of being on the ground, running the team, and basically uh, implementing some transformations. But also really for me and what was career-defining, I think, was learning the partners and having more active dialogue with a very, very unique and distinct market uh, that has tremendous innovations but also tremendous differences. And then I returned to happy retirement in Sydney and unfortunately got promoted and took on the overall Asia Pacific role. So that's been my journey, Rob. Yeah, that's fantastic. And outside the channel, what are your passions? Look, if it's sport, uh, I'm generally there watching. I'm not participating as much as I like anymore. Uh, I do try and keep up particularly rock climbing. So I do a fair bit of bouldering these days. I prefer to do more actual outdoor rock climbing, but with COVID, with travel, with getting old, don't get to do much of that. But I'm pleased that, you know, over the years through my business travels, I've managed to tack on days in the mountains in Japan, in Yosemite, in, in other places and do a little bit of um, seeing the s surrounds, but also getting on the rock. What's the most exciting climb you've done? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, look, I think the most exciting climb was probably my, one of my first multi-pitch climbs, Rob. Uh, probably 25 years ago. Uh, Multi-pitch meaning, you know, you climb up one length of rope, you set up some anchors, and then you go up the next length of rope and you go again. And it was in a place that's not particularly high in uh, Australia, a place called Mount Arapiles, and probably only 150 meters. But that very first time, yeah, well, only. <laughs> but that very first time that you're on a wall like that, and Mount Arapiles is surrounded by flat plains. So when you look out behind you and you see flat, a long way down, exposure, uh, tremendously exhilarating, exciting, and I think it will just always stay with me that it was there. I've been to fantastic places. I've seen the walls in Yosemite. I've certainly not climbed the big ones. I've only climbed some very small stuff there, but it's the first time I think you experience that exposure. It will always stick with you. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I've done a little bit of bouldering. I'm okay as long as I'm looking up, but as soon as I stop and look down, and panic sets in. <laughs> don't let go. Yeah, don't let go. Don't look down. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So uh, was there anything I missed that, uh, that you wish I would have asked? Look, I, I, 
I've enjoyed the conversation immensely, Rob. I think we've gone through a number of areas. The market is transforming. The alignment to ecosystem, I think, is a fantastic, uh, exciting time to be part of channel, to be part of Partners Alliances. I learned a lot on your podcast. I'm looking forward to listening to uh, to more episodes. I'm looking forward to catching up in the future and seeing how things go. But no, I think you've covered everything I'd like to cover. Well, fantastic. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us from Sydney. And uh, if you have other channel pros or, or chiefs out in APAC that you think would be tell a, could tell a good story, I'd love to, to get connected and, and get more international flavor on channel journeys. Absolutely. Let's make it happen. All right. Very good. All right. Well, you have a great day in Sydney. Thanks very much, Rob. All right. Cheers. Hey, guys, that was a fun conversation with Andrew, rock climber and ecosystem builder. It's great having an international guest on the show, especially with such a fun accent. I like how Andrew is leveraging his distributors to manage the bulk of his partners and avoid a duplication of effort, allowing his partner managers to focus on the most strategic partners and really build out that modern ecosystem. Thank you for listening. Thanks again to our sponsor, Allbound. If you are looking for an easier way to manage your partner ecosystem, whether it's for deal registration, tracking partner opportunities, or giving partners an easy way to access all of your sales and marketing materials, as well as trainings and certifications, be sure to check them out at allbound.com. You can check out today's show notes. Just go to channeljourneys.com slash CJ86. You can subscribe while you're there. And if you enjoyed the show, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform and share this podcast with your channel friends. Next episode, you're going to hear how to build a modern MSP program that is gaining huge traction. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.